0: Church family, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word as we continue to worship and turn with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. We're in a series, if you're new to Dawson, entitled Cultivated in His Character, where we're looking at the attributes that we know that Paul lists as the fruit of the Spirit. Nine, Nine characteristics of what it means to be cultivated in the character of Christ. Uh, We come now to the eighth characteristic, one that we know to be gentleness. I I read you the passage that has guided us this whole summer, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The eighth characteristic that we turn our attention to this morning, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If there's one attribute of the fruit of the Spirit that might uh, tempt some of you to sort of internally yawn and maybe check out through a sermon, it, it could be, for many of you, gentleness. Uh, there, there is, in our culture, not a whole lot of patience, nor is there is there much uh, of promotion of, of gentleness in our conversations, whether those are conversations at the highest levels or they're conversations at home, uh, gentleness is not something that, that we're often encouraged to emulate or to, to strive after. We, we spend a whole lot of time in our culture talking about the need for strength and boldness, as if strength and boldness are opposite of gentleness. We, we equate gentleness in our culture oftentimes as weakness we think to be gentle is to be timid. We think to, to be gentle sometimes is to back away from, from the truth. And it's just not the case, especially with men within the Christian church. There, there has been this cultural movement that, that is reticent to speak of, of the need to cultivate gentleness. We, we, we look to the world to, to provide us sort of heroes of what it means to, to be a man. And so, so we sort of look to Sylvester Stallone and Rambo. Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and commando and, and think to ourselves that this is the portrait we need. We need boldness, we need a, a no-nonsense sort of sort of attitude, get on the bus or get run over by the bus. These are the characteristics that oftentimes are cultivated outside of the church and unfortunately inside of the church. And here Paul talks about what we need to look like as followers of Jesus, and, and he lifts up gentleness as this characteristic that we are called to be cultivated into character of Christ. And for those of you that are tempted to think that gentleness is timidity, for those of you that think gentleness is just weakness, I, I dare say that, that we haven't spent enough time in the Old Testament. Because when we open God's Word and we discover how God is described in the Old Testament, we have the all-powerful, sovereign king who is described as a gentle god notice with me in isaiah 40 verse 11 the description of god he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently gently lead those that are with young turn to the Psalms that we've turned to again and again and again to describe the the very characteristics of God. And here in Psalm 103, we read, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse 14, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And again in the church, that there is much suspicion of the God of the Old Testament. Largely, there is a group, interestingly enough, who who looks at the Old Testament and says, you know something? There's not enough of the gentle God in the Old Testament, so we need to go to the red letters of the New Testament to to be able to be embraced by Jesus, but but leave behind the the vengeful and the violent God of the Old Testament. You'll hear that. And of course, the, the wrath and the justice and judgment of God is present in the Old Testament and, I remind you, in the New Testament. Yes, when we turn to the book of Genesis, we see God destroying, uh, bringing about a a flood because of the wickedness of of humanity. Yes, we see that, but we also see the gentleness of our God in, in providing salvation, providing an ark for Noah and his family. Yes, we see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. Yes, we see that, but we also see In that same family story of Abraham, we see a a single mother by the name of Hagar who has with her Ishmael, and she's wandering in the wilderness because Sarah is jealous and has kicked her out of the house, and she is homeless, and she is hopeless. She's at the end of the rope, no hope left, and it's God. It's God in his gentleness that provides water to to prevent what certainly would have been death there in the wilderness. There is a through line in the Old Testament of a God who loves the outcast, who loves the foreigner, who loves the widow, who loves the orphan. It is the very justice and wrath of God that is oftentimes directed to his people because they have not treated the orphan nor the widow, the downcast, and the down and out with love and care and respect, with gentleness it's not just those that are outcast it's those in the old testament who are called to be spokespersons for god you see the prophet elijah who is who is running away and and jezebel is at his heels trying to kill him and he is at his end of his rope and he is suicidal he is depressed He comes under a juniper tree and and wants to die and it's there that god in his graciousness and gentleness meets him and through the angel of the lord provides food for him rests for him says i'm not finished with you takes him to the top of the mountain and gives him this panoramic picture of his power in the earthquake in the fire in the wind but what do we read? We read God says, I'm not here in these, but, but as the King James says, that he is in uh, the, the gentle, still, small voice. And it's there that God ministers to his servant, Elijah, at, at the end of what he thinks is going to be the end of his life. All throughout Scripture, we see this, this theme of God's care this theme of God's gentleness it is not a sign of weakness. It is a characteristic of, of the all powerful, sovereign God who controls everything. This is his characteristic. And we turn to the New Testament, and it shouldn't surprise us that his son displays this gentleness in his ministry. His ministry is he cares for those who are lepers. His ministry is, he cares for those who are outcasts. Those that, he cares for those who are written off by the Jewish leaders of the day. But we read in, in one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testaments, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, we read, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Do you, do you feel that this morning? Do you feel overwhelmed this morning? Do you you feel tired? Not not in the sense that you didn't get enough sleep, but you just can't catch up with life. You're tired at the core of your bones. You you feel as if everywhere you turn, it just seems to, to drain you, and you can't catch up. And here Jesus is whispering to you, not get over it, suck it up, run through it, but come to me. It's an invitation to him, to all who labor, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's a surprise that Jesus says this, especially in the context He says, take my yoke upon you, it a yoke, we, we're so far removed in the 21st century from these sort of agrarian agricultural metaphors, but, but enough of you know what it is to work with your hands, and you know what it is. You, you instinctively know what Jesus is talking about here. A, a yoke in that first century would be something, was just this wooden instrument that you can control a, a beast of burden with. You could make that animal do what that animal needs to do because you've controlled that animal. In that first century world, it was used not just for animals, but it was used for humans who were slaves to master them. It was a a sign of servitude. And so Jesus is saying, coming to me, take upon my yoke upon you. Now you'll miss this if you don't understand the context of what Jesus is saying. There was a rabbinical statement. That's the Jewish leaders of that day. They're going around and they're saying, be yoked to the Old Testament law. Be yoked to the kingdom of the law, the kingdom of God revealed in and through his law. So that was a phrase that was going on. Now, the the law was a good gift given by God for the Egyptians who were set free from Egyptian captivity. And they had hundreds of years to be told, this is what you do. This is when you do it. And so here they are in the wilderness, and God, in his good grace, says, here's a pathway, here's a roadmap to justice, to flourishing. This is what it looks like to live as as a freed people. Well, guess what? God's good gift, like it often is, it gets polluted by us sinners. So over the years, the rabbis of the day would add to God's law, and they would add minute observations and interpretations and executions of the law. So a person who was going to be yoked to the law in that first century world, they would see this heavy burden that was not a delight, but it was dutiful. Impossible. All of the minutiae of details. And Jesus shows up and he says, be yoked to me. Now he's not saying following Jesus is, is easy. I mean, Jesus is going to say, uh, deny self. Take up your cross. Follow me. But what Jesus is saying is, is I am issuing an invitation not for you to follow this religious rules, and the minutiae, but rather, I'm inviting you to me. I'm inviting you to a relationship with me. And when you're yoked to me, you're mastered by me, it is not a a duty, but rather, it is a delight. It is not burdensome, but it is the, the greatest way for you to flourish is for him to be your Lord, for him to be your master. You're going to serve somebody. Remember that old Bob Dylan song? got to serve somebody you will each and every one of us will be mastered by something someone the question is will you be will you be mastered by the one who gives you hope will you be mastered by the one who is connected to the father and has saved you from your sins will you be mastered by the one who gives you abundant life who are you serving What are you serving? Because I'm here to tell you, if you're not mastered by your Savior, you will always be in a place where you'll never add up. You'll never be fulfilled. When you're mastered by your work, It will always call you to do more, but you'll never find true fulfillment in it. No matter how many promotions you get, no matter when you get to the top of the corporate ladder and you look out for for the, the very view that you had always dreamed of, you'll realize in that moment it wasn't enough because only he is. Who are you yoked to? Who will you be mastered by? Jesus says, come to me. And I will give you rest. The path of discipleship that he calls us to is one that is reflected in the gentleness of of the call of God upon our lives. The gentleness that is displayed by our Savior in calling us while we are yet still sinners. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. As a follower of Jesus, you are called, I am called, we are called to travel the path of gentleness in our relationships, in our work, in our family, here at our church. Now, what does that look like? Well, Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, he would say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression," You're caught in sin. You see that. You who are spiritual, you who are following Jesus, you restore him in a spirit. Notice that word, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Don't come in here being the self-righteous, looking down upon a person because you understand what they're called in. You too, but by the grace of God, would be called in also. Bear one another's burdens, verse 2. So fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul is talking about the the importance of restoring a brother or a sister who is called in a transgression, called in sin. You and I, we, we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God that we love. We sing it and we know it and we love that hymn because we so readily live those lyrics. We know what it is to wander. We know what it is to leave the God that we love and loves us. And so the question is, we need and it's not a question it's a statement i mean we need we need the body of christ to help us walk this road because there're going to be times where we do not recognize that we've been caught in sin and so we need someone who loves us enough to speak truth to us in the original language of the new testament that word that is translated in your english versions restore it is a vivid picture It is a picture of someone setting a dislocated limb back into the proper setting. There's been an injury and that, that limb is going in a direction that it shouldn't go and someone has the ability and the care and the tenderness to set it correctly. We've had a new sort of evolution of sports in the Eldridge household. For the first time, we have one of our sons wrestling, not like in a Hulk Hogan kind of way, not WWF way, but, uh, but you know, wrestling, high school wrestling. You got the wrestling mats there and all these points. I still haven't quite figured out how you score points and not score points and what, so I'm still learning the rules a little bit. Last year at one of the high school wrestling meets, there was one individual, one young man who had a horrific injury right there, and, and it was one that uh, his, his, one of his fingers was dislocated in a very vivid way, and I won't get too descriptive here, but it was going in the wrong direction, and everyone saw it at the same time, and it, it brought out the ooh from the crowd. But what I wanna tell you about is the trainer that was on site. What I wanna tell you about is the way that that trainer came to restore what was dislocated back into its proper place. Because it is an image of our calling to be individuals, to be men and women who see those who are not physically dislocated, but who become spiritually dislocated. Do you understand that? That you can be going in the wrong direction And we need someone who will come around. You know what that trainer did? The first thing that trainer did was to speak truth into the situation. Amen, right? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, God wanted to emphasize that there. So, so if you were wondering if she spoke truth, she spoke truth. And so this young man, the, the first thing that this young man wanted to do was to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, it's not that big of a deal, I'll wrestle through it. And she had to say, no, we're going to have to forfeit this match because you cannot wrestle through it. This is something that ultimately needs to be dealt with. And you know at times when you are spiritually dislocated, you will explain away the sin, you will deny that it is an issue, and we need men and women who are courageous enough to speak truth. But you know also what this young lady did as a trainer. She, she set it right, but she did it with tenderness. She, she didn't do it rashly. She didn't do it forcefully. She didn't do it quickly. She was able, in, in, a, in a very gentle way, to set what was dislocated back into the proper setting there. And I think as a church, it's a great image for us there can be damage done when the church, in an effort to speak truth, uh, doesn't speak it in tenderness, doesn't speak it with gentleness. Uh, we sort of have the Nathaniel Hawthorne vision of the scarlet letter that, that plays in our minds, and it has become sort of a proverb in many ways because there are many Hester that are out there that have been stamped with the church with a scarlet letter for all to see the sin that they've been caught in. And what what lacks in that moment is grace. What lacks in that moment is gentleness. What lacks in that moment is compassion. And they're casualties. They're casualties that are strewn about in the history of the church where men and women heard the truth, but they didn't hear it with tenderness. They didn't hear it with gentleness. And they were ostracized and they were shunned. And as the church, we have to be men and women who hold the truth, hold the truth, speak it, but we speak it with gentleness. At times we speak it with tears. We speak it with love. We speak it with compassion. We speak it not with this self righteous indignity and indignation that, that shuns people, but, but rather we embrace people in the midst of understanding that, that any and every one of us can be called in sin in such a way that we can become that person that is dislocated because we have been that person, right? Someone loved us enough to speak the truth, to do it with gentleness. But that's not only what we're going to read in the New Testament, that we need to be men and women who speak the truth, but to speak it with tenderness. But also in our witness, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it. Notice again these descriptors here. Do it with gentleness and do it with respect. So so share the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, it's easy for us to take this and run with just sort of a friendship evangelism uh, platform, but there's more to this passage than that. The the immediate context in verse 14, if you're looking at 1 Peter 3.15, you'll you'll realize that Peter is talking about uh, Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. He is talking about men and women who are persecuting the church. And and that the persecution of the church, the difficulty that they face, can be a platform that gives men and women like you and me the opportunity to share with those. When we're going through difficulty, when we're going through problems of the hope that resides in us, how our problems don't overcome us because there is one who has overcome any and every problem that we'll face, and that's Jesus. And so, your platform often in life, as, as you desire to be a witness, your platform is often the difficulties that God has brought you through. It is often the most the painful things that you're going through or have been through in your life. Now, this is, a, this is a wonderful reminder because what Peter is telling us to do here is to give a hope for the reason. Of of the of of what we have, a defense for the reason of the hope that resides in us, but to do it with gentleness and to do it with respect. I think in our culture, we need to be reminded of what, what Peter is saying. First, we need to be reminded that we are called to be men and women who share our faith. We are called to be witnesses for what we've received in Jesus. We're not called to be anonymous Christians. We're not called to be silent. He has brought you through, He has saved you, and He has called you to be able to share that, to be able to share that as God gives you opportunities. Now, how we share it, it's not just that we have the content right, but we we need to be men and women that think of the tone and the posture of how we communicate our faith. As Christians in the 21st century, we are going to disagree with the cultural streams that are flowing around us, and at times we feel as if we were being pulled in. But there's no excuse, even when we disagree with people and disagree with issues, that we are disagreeable. We need to be men and women of truth who are not argumentative in our proclamation of that truth. That there's, no, there's no place in the Christian family as we engage with an unbelieving world to, 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 to go to this name-calling and, and rudeness. Rudeness is not a sign of faithfulness. I think at times we, we have a culture that just shouts at one another, blasts at one another, and no one's really talking to one another. And as Christians, we're called to be charitable. We're called to be respectful. We're called to be quick to listen. We're called to, to understand as best we can what a person believes and, and what they might have brought them to that belief and to be charitable as we can, to be able to listen to be respectful. And as we have these opportunities and, and that tone is before us, oftentimes God gives us the opportunity to, to share our faith, but we can never get there sometimes because we've never postured ourselves as people, men and women, who are willing to listen, quick to listen, quick to be empathetic, quick to be gentle And respectful. This last week, uh, Danielle Bale, who did our announcements, she, she led, along with Meg Brown, our associate children's minister, a group of students, third through fifth graders, to Timber Creek. It's right outside of Jackson, Mississippi. It was an excruciatingly hot week as you know this here in alabama it was hot there and so you had all these chaperones that are pouring into one of my sons my youngest son and had others are just pouring in it was just a wonderful week my middle son and i drove over for one day just to see our students and it was just a great day to be there i'm going to tell you one selfish reason that i always want to go over to timber creek every year as our our students continue to go there is because the camp director is greg taylor now greg taylor is not a household name There's no book that he's written that I could promote for you, but I tell you, he made a huge, indelible imprint and impact in my life as a high school student. I grew up and was saved in in the context of a First Baptist church, but there was Greg Taylor, who was the youth pastor at the First Methodist church in my hometown. And I used to go over on Sunday nights with some of my friends, and he would lead a Bible study, and I just remember so vividly how people would come to this Bible study, and they'd be people that were on the fringes of faith. And he would give the Bible study, but he would open himself up to questions at the end. And so many people would just pepper him with questions of of doubt and disbelief and skepticism. And the way that he drew people into the church, he drew people into the faith, wasn't the compelling ways that he argued with these men and women, these teenagers who were asking questions. It was not that. It was that they all knew this about Greg Taylor— He cared about them. And he made room for their doubts. He made room for their questions. He made room for teenage confusion. If you would have asked me at the age of 16... Who is Jesus like? What, what is Jesus like? You know how I would have answered that question at 16? I would have said, I don't really know, but it seems to me that Greg Taylor is about as close as I can get. And it wasn't just that he had the right content. It was just that any person that rubbed against him knew that he cared. And in the day and age, where there's tremendous skepticism about the claims of Christianity, in a day and age where there's tremendous disbelief in the church and outside of the church, in a day and age that is confused about things that people have never been really confused on a a large societal scale, how much more so should the Christian church be known for the claims that we hold dear? The word of truth that we will not back down from But how much more so should we be known as men and women who are gentle, respectful, who posture ourselves in a way of openness? In this world, it seems to me that we will not have a hearing with many Christians, non-Christians, both alike, until they know without a doubt that not only through our words but through our lives, we care. We've been captivated by a God who at his very core is a gentle God, who saved us through his son Jesus, who who shows us that path of gentleness. In this very week, in our family, in our workplace, at home and at church, we're called to display that characteristic of gentleness those men and women, that God would give us the opportunity to intercept. May it be so in my life. May it be so in your life. May it be so in our church. Let us pray.